We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This is the PT Pinecast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the uh, the show. PT Pinecast was just having a great conversation. You're going to see I tie the my last phone call conversation of the day into the beer selection I use for this episode. It's all full circle, so stick stick around for that. Uh, do you want to say thanks to everybody who has been um, uh, jumping on and subscribing to the podcast? That's always helpful. Uh, again, subscriptions for podcasts, in case you don't know, are free. So if you're watching a live stream, that's why I'm, I'm talking, you can subscribe to the show. You never miss an episode, and it doesn't cost anything. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh want to thank some of our friends who keep the show afloat, our friends at Practice Freedom U. That's our friend Jamie Schreier. For PT owners who want to treat less and earn more and create the business you've always dreamed of, take their practice quiz now to see where you stack up. Uh, going to be in the show notes of this episode. Plus our friends at CBDRX4U.com, your CBD store. Get the ABCs of CBD at CBDRX4U.com. That's CBDRX, the number four, the letter U.com. And our friends at MW Therapy, just did, and MW Therapy just did an episode with Sharif talking about EMRs and how you're probably using yours wrong, but how you can use it better. Uh, if you've if you've grown out of control with your EMR costs, if you've hit a ceiling with it, time for something better, time for something new, customizable, that's where MW Therapy comes in. Take a demo at mwtherapy.com. That is where switching your EMR is easy. Now, the reason for today's episode, this is something I think is often overlooked. We talk a lot about private practice and business and, and communications and marketing. We talk a lot about those things. And this episode, we've done more than 850 episodes on this show. That's pretty crazy. We've never done one like this. We've never talked about this. This is a time and a topic that we've never talked about. But but if you have a private practice, this is what you're ultimately working for for decades. For this is the goal. And you should be proud of it and want to be rewarded for it. So this is pretty cool because we're doing an episode on something we've never really touched on, but underlying the tone underlying what you do in your practice is this topic. So without further ado, and you know me, I love some ado. Let's start the show. All right, welcome to PT Pinecast. I'm your host, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay. We like to say we have great physical therapy conversations on tap. Follow us on the socials at PT Pinecast, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and the website, ptpinecast.com. Right now, broadcasting live from the Physical Therapy and Balance Center Studios, also known as my living room. That's really what it is, guys. Um, excited to have you guys uh, here with uh, with me today for our guest. Again, I mentioned it at the top of the show. Never done an episode on this topic, but if you have a private practice, you're always, should be at least, I don't want to say always, you should be at least thinking about this topic. So let's get to it and bring in our guest tonight, uh, the Director of Strategic Development for Physical Therapy and Balance Centers. Born and raised in Boston, we'll let that go from a New Yorker hosting the show. We'll let it go because he lives in Florida now. Uh, and he gets to do really cool stuff with physical um, uh, franchisees. But really, he's he's going to tell you how to do the thing that you should be paying attention the entire time you have a practice. Let's welcome into the studio, Kevin Mercier. Kevin Mercier, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here, Jimmy. All right, Kevin, 
I don't know if I, I tipped you off on this. The first question we ask is always the hardest. Everything down after that is all downhill. It's nice and easy. What are you drinking tonight? What is on? What is what is in your glass? So I I'm hoping we can still be friends. You 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 tossed me a little bit of a Boston remark there before I hopped in, but um, I actually brought a Sam Adams Daniel Boston Adams. lager with me. All tonight. right, that's fine. That's acceptable. <laughs> I do like Boston. It's this funny. If you're not from the, I think if people aren't from the Northeast, they might not understand. Like there's that rivalry, but like, I love going to Boston. It's a great town. So uh, cheers to you. I'm actually doing a little liquid Aloha. Cheers. This is a uh, Kona. They call it liquid Aloha. I'm doing the big wave ale. And the reason I, I in the top, top of the show, I was talking, I, I, I paired my beer selection uh, with my last phone call of the day, my last like office phone call of the day. There's a new PT program. Where did you go to PT school, Kevin? I'm not a physical therapist myself. Oh. Finance uh, guy. I went to PT school in Virginia, not a bad place to go. DC area. Some people yeah. like, you know, they, in California, they just opened a PT program in the first ever in Hawaii. I was talking to someone from that program and I was like, before the pandemic, we used to do live shows and I'm like, Hey, um, you know, maybe we could do a live show, a luau. I don't know. You, you know, you know, Aloha, let's have me out here. So we're working on it. So, the, I mean, you know, I, this is not promising anything, but the goal is to do a live show from Hawaii. I love that. I assume Oahu. Oahu. I don't even know. Okay. Never yeah. been. So Never even thought about it. I've had the chance to go to the Kona Brewery in Hawaii, and I've had the chance to go to the Sam Adams Brewery in Boston. So that is cool. Um, I picked Sam Adams specifically because, first of all, there was the Boston tie. I'm typically a Miller Lite guy, so yeah. it was kind of tough picking a beer, but then – I thought about Boston, and then I said, as I dove a little bit deeper, um, the founder, Jim Cook, actually named the beer Sam Adams because Sam Adams led the fight for independence, and he wanted to do the same thing in the beer space um, for the craft beer revolution, and he's he's done it. So I, I think it ties well into our topic today for private practice. Uh, he, he went ahead and built a – they're closing in. They were – it's been a rough couple months, but – they're about a four and a half billion dollar market cap brand today. And um, he started with the, a beer in his kitchen. So it's uh, pretty impressive. Have you ever it. heard like his his story and his kind of origin story? I think they did an NPR podcast, How I Built This, like which did his origin. He was walking around town, like literally with like a suitcase full of beer and like knocking on doors. He's done things too, where like, I would love to do this, but I don't think I'm at the Jim Cook level. He would like, if, if you wouldn't meet with him in person or let's say you were far away, he would like DHL or overnight UPS FedEx a, a beer and a pint glass in like dry ice and time it. So if your call was at three o'clock in San, San Francisco, he would get it there at like 245 and he'd be like, oh, like, hey, hey, you know, Kevin, good to see you. Like, you know, have any packages arrived? And they'd be like, oh, packages arrived. And he cut it open. Like, let's have a beer. Like he thought about it. Like the dude knew what he was. He had to sell craft beer. Yeah, quite literally. I did listen to that podcast as well. It was um, it was something else. He said one out of 20. So he'd walk into 20 bars and, and he knew he could get one out of 20 of them to start selling his beer. And he just had to do the math and, and keep keep at it until he uh, was big enough. And if you if you can get into that mindset. Right. And that's where you start to get into like like for me, it's endurance sports. I'm sure it's like weightlifting. It's whatever. It's like if I know it's one out of 20, it's like, OK, well, if I want to. I go to 40. Like when you can start to get in that mindset of like, okay, this is a numbers game. 
and I'm in it for the long haul for the right reasons. And if I want three bars to pick up my thing, I got to do 60 calls. So let's just get to 60 if that's my goal for the week. And he, because like there was no easy road, right? I mean, he was doing craft beer in the 80s, right? Like, or he's trying to get like this thing that wasn't a behemoth in the 80s. Yeah, because he heard somebody say, I'm going to mess it up. But basically, what is this similarity between uh, American beer and a canoe? <laughs> I know this one, yeah. They both hit water or right, they both right, hit right, water right. or something like that. So he uh, he wanted to, to get a good beer. And, and now um, some would argue that American beer is, is potentially the best beer. Put it on the map. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. So uh, that's the first round brought to you by our friends from Owens Recovery Science, a single source for PTs looking for certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. BFR, as the cool kids are, are calling it. They got a course coming up uh, this month in Chicago. They're back out doing live courses to get certified. So check them out at owensrecoveryscience.com. Also their podcast, the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. So you were so physical sponsors this show we've had a couple people on to talk about different things marketing was first we had one of your marketing people on and we went deep into like marketing for practice um you were you were you were employee one like you were like the first guy like you were like i love when i hear that because it's like if you've ever seen like that picture of jeff bezos at amazon and he's like in an office with like a spray painted like banner behind him and he was employee one like but you were like the you were your employee one like the whoever found it you were the next guy yeah. Yeah. So Jim Abrams founded physical back in um, 2012. And I actually started working. I graduated college in 2011 and um, came back part of that boomerang generation where parents sent us off to school and we came back because we couldn't get a job. Yeah. Um, we li- lived with them. So I, I had some personal relationship through through a family member of Jim and um, came in and said, I'll, He's like, I, I just sold my previous company. I'm going to found a, a physical therapy franchise um, as a business guy. So I was like, I'm in. And and he's like, uh, I don't have a whole lot going on right now, but we'll, we'll go ahead and get kicked off. So I started with him back in 2011, just as basically as assistant, um, helped him open a restaurant at the same time. And, and then <laughs> <laughs> physical got kicked off at that point and, and just kind of been here ever since in seven or eight different roles at this point. Well, I often talk about this. I tell people... Um, I worked in food service. I never worked in retail, but I worked in food service. And to me, they're very, very much like on the level of they're about their customer service game. Like your restaurant is only as good as your service and your food and like all those things. What before we move on and talk about like what the topic of today's episode is, what did you learn from opening a restaurant? I'm sure there's a ton of lessons, but like what comes top of mind that is universal in terms of lesson? Yeah, I, I'd say people management was was the biggest thing. So I, I came out of school and, and had a couple jobs in high school and college as as just a minimum wage guy, just looking for a paycheck. But um, coming out and, and helping him open that restaurant, I was the general manager for a year and a half of, of a restaurant on Main Street in Sarasota. So it's 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 a real restaurant and um, still there. It's still there, and they're they're killing it. You know, we we had some uh, heartaches the first couple of years and, sure. and some speed bumps along the way, but. Um, it's there. And, and I think Jim's son actually owns it, the, the founder now. And um, yeah, people management was huge. So I, I had to basically learn how to manage people without ever having done it before and just kind of got thrown into the deep end of the pool there. But um, a lot of good lessons there and, and, you know, proud to have a little mark on that restaurant that, that they're ranked top 10 and in, in, um, on TripAdvisor. And, and it's just a, it was a fun what's, ride. What's it called in case someone's going to head down there? 
Yeah, it's called Duval's Fresh Local Seafood. So their whole concept is is fresh local seafood. That's you know we're we're here right on the Gulf of Mexico, and um, they're bringing in really good. Um, I'd say middle upper class, middle upper scale restaurant. Um, so it's not overly fancy or overly yeah. expensive, but it's 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 a nice place to go and and have some fish. It's all about people, right? That's that universal and treat those people. Like, you know, I heard, I think it was from Marcus Limonis, the prophet. And he was like, people don't run businesses. He's like, people run processes, processes run businesses. And he's like, you got to let those people run those things, but make sure your job as a manager, you work for them. You, you serve them because they're going to do the thing. They're going to greet every customer and they're going to, they're going to prepare every meal and they're going to seat every guest. So it's people, people, people. And you, and of course that's universal. I mean, that lesson doesn't need to be stressed to physical therapists and clinic directors and franchise coordinators or anything like that. It's a, it's a people game. It's a people game. So, so the topic of today's episode, I think if you heard me in the, in the intro, like we've, t- I mean, I've done 850 to close to 900 episodes of this show. We've never talked about the topic we're going to talk about today, which is planning about or thinking about what you're going to do to sell your practice or like what's your exit from your private practice. And and then it hit me when I was prepping for this. I was like, that isn't necessarily what you're thinking of when you're launching, but it needs to be sort of like in the DNA of what you're doing because it, I'm imagining, and you'll be able to tell me, like if you're thinking about it in the last 10 minutes, so like, hey, as you're, as you're walking out the door, probably not the best time to be thinking about it and preparing about it. So, so how does someone begin this plan? Like when's the best time to start planning your exit from your, your practice? Yeah, we actually like to say the day you get into business is, is the day that you should have a plan to get out of business. Um, and as a franchise brand, we have a lot of startups that come through and, and that's that's a lesson that's taught pretty early on. But um, I think it's important to know that that plan can evolve and it most likely will evolve. But but having at least a roadmap to where you want to be and what you're doing to open this practice, um, I, I think you said it best recently. I was listening to one of your podcasts, a failure to plan is a plan to fail. So yep. Um, that's coach wooden. Yeah. yeah. And I used to tell people in radio, like, cause I used to train radio DJs. Like I turned bartenders or whatever into radio DJs. Cause again, it's a people game. And I would say, as long as you know how to, so the, uh, in between songs is when the DJ comes on and he's like, Hey, that was Pearl jam and come up tonight. We're going to be at bike night and here's Lincoln park. That's a break. As long as you know how to get into the break and out of the break, the stuff in the middle, you could fudge that. So that to me, like it was the first thing I thought of is like, Know how you're starting the break. Know how you're starting the business, right? Have that plan. But you always want to make sure you land. So if you're going to jump 15 buses on a dirt bike, yeah, the, 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 the jump ramp is important. So is the landing ramp. You want to make sure that landing, that exit ramp is really, really important. So starting off, you know, you're saying in the beginning of business. So what things come into play, you know, you know in, in that middle? Because there's some, there's some stuff that happens from launching a business to trying to exit and sell a business. So where, how do you discuss this? Because that's what physical does in terms of clinics all over the place and supporting them. So, so walk me through this. How do you talk about this with people who are in, within the organization? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's obviously a ton that goes into it. And, and I think um, the, the biggest one that you've got to keep an eye on is, is, is ultimately going to be the size. So um, as you're planning that exit and, and where you want to be, the, the biggest metric that a potential buyer is going to look at is, is your EBITDA. Um, but in addition, I see a stop sign there. Give that to me. 
because I know it and I studied yeah. it, but do yeah. it to me again. It's and yeah. I want to make sure the audience gets it. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so EBITDA is when you're on your PL or your income statement, um, how much money you make. It's it's profit's gonna be another name for it, but it's your earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Yeah, I knew it was it was like you know, it was an acronym, but I was like, damn it, I knew all those things at once. Yeah. So if, if you're in the market or you're looking to sell, every buyer is going to be looking at, at what that EBITDA is. That's going to be the, the number one metric they're going to use to, to ultimately put a multiple on your business and, and provide a valuation for you. So this is something you should be paying attention because you want to this is this is the pulse or this is the EKG. This is like, how are you doing in your business in year one, five, 10, 15? So you don't want to be shocked by that number. If you're not paying attention to that number, my guess is you don't want sticker shock from your own numbers. Yeah. If, if you're running a practice or any kind of business, um, that that's a number that you should have a pretty good pulse on, on what you have year to year. All right. So paying attention to EBITDA, paying attention to revenue. Yep. Yeah. So, so revenue is another look at what's that. What are the other things that people look at? What are the other, the, the thing, the, the factors, the variables that come into yeah. that equation? Yeah. So like you said, revenue is going to be another one. So your EBITDA is going to be the bottom line that that revenue is going to be your top line. So, so ultimately a business with, with a higher top line and, and revenue number is going to probably be able to achieve a, a, a higher multiple as well. And, and, you know, it's, we see businesses, unfortunately, that are, are in the red and paying a multiple on a business in the red is not really possible, but um, we, we have to kind of go a different direction to value that business. Um, so what does we, that mean? What, like, I don't want to skip ahead because like most of the people in my audience, maybe they know this. Like, so talk to me about multiple, multiple and what does that mean? Yeah, we'll, we'll use easy numbers. So um, if you're a million dollar revenue business, so over the course of the past 12 months, uh, you produced a million dollars of sales. Um, let's just say for easy numbers, your bottom line was $200,000 of profit. So um, not exactly even, even, but your EBITDA was 200,000. Um, when we say in the red, that means that business was, was negative. So that million dollar business was, did not produce money and actually lost money. Um, but we see businesses, un unfortunately, in the red. And, and we see businesses sometimes operating north of 30%. Uh, right. So there's a pretty significant um, jump from from businesses that are operating pretty effectively to those that that maybe aren't so so when what should people be doing in this situation if they know they're there right like a lot of times we that's why i was like struggling with the question because i know this can come in, in uh, psychology can come into this which is like i know what i'm doing isn't working I'm focusing on being a great clinician because a lot of people are clinicians first, right? Then they open a business. Now they're both. And yet they've never had the lessons maybe of that business hat. Um, and then they, they, I call white knuckling. They double down. Well, if I lost a little bit of money this year, I just need to work harder. I just need to, I just need to, I need to not take, I need to work Saturdays and see more patients. What are the things that they can do to improve that? So they're not underwater in their own business. Yeah. I, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of different metrics that we're tracking day to day that that are outside the financial statement that, you know, from evals and visits, all of that kind of stuff that we have our, our own, I guess, secret sauce of how to properly manage your business from physical. Um, but if you're talking just financial statements from a from a very simple, um, quick, because we we're, we're here together, probably fairly briefly, but um, from a high level 
if you're looking at your financial statement, you're ultimately, um, you shouldn't be paying more than 10% in rent. So there's there's a good metric there. 10% of your total revenue. Of revenue should not yep. be rent. Got it. Yep. So if you're a million dollar business, your annual rent should not be north of a hundred thousand. Um, you, you should, that payroll is going to be and, and cost of goods is going to be a pretty, pretty big number. So some of the more effective businesses are going to be sub 50%. Um, some of the less are going to be north of 60%. So wow. when you're looking at all your payroll expenses and, and team um, supply, all of that, that's going to be a, a pretty wide range. Now, if, you, if you're north of 60% from that group, that's where you got to dive in and, and you're going to have to improve the efficiency of your, of your clinicians. Um, and that, that last group is going to be everything else. So, um, your operating expenses shouldn't be north of 10% either. So that just from a high level, I think that helps you kind of take a peek at your own business and see where you're, you're maybe missing the boat. Some, I know some people open clinics and they don't have even that boilerplate in terms of percentages. They just say, I'm just going to try to save everywhere that I can. But when you don't have an anchor, when you have no idea what the range can be, I mean, we had a guy on uh, a couple months ago in terms of real estate. His job was real estate and clinics and doctor's offices. And he's like, you watch these people who have no, ex if you have no experience in something, you could get rolled. I mean, and especially when you sign them a dotted line in real estate, you're indebted to that. So you're saying 10% in, in terms of rent, right, overhead. But if I'm if I went to medical school or if I went to PT school, and went to college for seven years, I don't know, like maybe 30% is good. And Kevin's here going, no, hard no. But unless you know that, you have no idea, but your, sh you, your, ship, is, your ship is sinking. You have no idea where the leak is. And oh, by the way, it's because you're paying 30% in, in rent when you should probably be closer to 10% or less. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a fairly standard formula um, that, that NPT, you know, we've, we've seen couple hundred P&Ls in, in the space. And um, it, it's pretty standard that they kind of run in that fashion. Gotcha. All right. So what do we, what, what should you expect when you're selling your practice? If someone right now is going, okay, I could see myself doing this a year from now, two years now, three years from now, what are, what are some of the things you want to start looking for, right? Like if you're using that analogy where you just took off and you're jumping 15 buses on a dirt bike, you're starting to, start to, to, to time your landing. What are the things you want to pay attention to? You had a key word there was timing. Um, so timing's kind of everything when you're looking to exit. So not only from the state of the world, you know, it's, it, we got a whole lot going on right now, yeah, but um, yeah. state of our industry as well. So right now is, is absolutely a seller's market. Um, the buyers are, are hot and, and looking to, to expand. Uh, but, but, the biggest thing when I think about timing is that trailing 12 month EBITDA. So, you know, if you had a tough quarter for, you know, you lost some staff members or, or whatever was happening um, back January, February, March of 2021, um, that's going to affect your trailing 12 month EBITDA as you look at end of year through 2021. So if you know you're going to be kicking butt here in the first quarter of 22, then wait. Um, wait hang tight because that EBITDA that you're going to show on your financials into quarter one of 22 are going to jump up that um, EBITDA pretty significantly. Is that what people are looking for? They're looking for the last 12 months. Do people ever ask for longer than that? Or is that common? Yeah. So typically they're, they're going to be valuing it on those previous 12 months, but it. um, it's, it's a good call out because a lot of times we're, 
we're looking deeper. So we'll, we'll look at 24 or 36 months um, as a buyer. And we typically want to see a business that's growing. So we, we did have a, a year with a pretty significant asterisks here in 2020 that right, right, um, right, right. 99% of the clinics we've been looking at had, had a pretty good dip in 2020, but um, the buyers will know that. And, and looking into 18, 19, 20, 21, they, they want to see that growth pattern for, for a business, because if they're going the other way that, they have pretty good expectations that unless a significant change is made, that might continue. If I want to sell my house, Kevin, I go outside, I hammer a stake with a for sale on the front. I'm guessing PT clinics are not doing that. So how are you looking or how are you trying to attract those potential buyers? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a few different avenues. So um, I, I think in a perfect world, there's internal succession. So, you know, in these private practices, a lot of times we'll run into a, a family member that's in the in the wings to be able to take it over, or right. um, perhaps there's a, a PT or a clinic director that that you've kind of been talking with Ruben. taking over. Um, but sometimes, un unfortunately, that's unrealistic if, if that person's not there, or, um, you know, you can't make the assumption, but a lot of times a, a PT that's making 85, 90K might not have the funds to be able to purchase your right. business. So, um, again, don't make that assumption. They they could have some some capital to be able to do so. Um, but if if that's not going to be available, uh, a lot of times competitors represent a a really good opportunity for you to to sell to. So I, I think it's important to maintain relationships with your competitors in the space. That's it's a huge market. Um, you know, that's there's plenty of room for for a lot of us out there. And I think that we we've all realize that. Um, and not only from when it's ready for you to sell, but you could also represent a potential buyer to that um, competitor in your space. So maintaining those relationships in, in your space is, is going to be good for potential exit. Yeah. Um, others could be outside buyers. So um, it, they might be cold reach outs, people targeting your territory and your location. Um, you could, if you are actively looking to sell, there's, you could uh, hire a broker and, and, way for them to help you find a buyer um if you're part of physical just like you you wouldn't see a for sale sign on outside of a chick-fil-a there's there's an opportunity right. as a franchise whether it's a franchise or, or us at headquarters there's people in line that that understand the system and the process that would be glad to take it over so um as a seller i i would say the most important thing you need to do is is see what's out there and, and get the most value for your business whatever that buyer may be this just sounds like timing and preparation and paying attention. I mean, if again, like if you're paying attention to EBITDA, if you're paying attention to the metrics that matter, the KPIs that matter, figure out what that is. And, and I'm hearing from Kevin, which is pay attention to what buyers are, would, would potentially be paying attention to years from now. Pay attention to those in year one, year three, year five, year seven. So you're never shocked about where you're performing on one of those. Um any lesson learned? I mean, this this is what physical or part of what physical does in terms of franchise. Any any lessons learned, positive, negative, like, you know, I don't want to say horror stories, but like, you know, we like to learn from those mistakes or, hey, really great examples of of understanding the, the, the situation. Yeah, we we've had a few. So um, over the past two and a half years or so, we've done 27, I think, 28 acquisitions. We just had another one. Come wow. Through last week. Wow. Um, the, the first one and the one that I tell I'll all potential sellers when we first start talking is is we recommend to pre-negotiate a, a flat fee with their legal counsel um it it typically unless the valuation is going to be a it's a l large transaction it should be less than 10k 
So we, one of our first purchases was, was about a five or, or $600,000 valuation. And they ended up spending over 50 K on their legal counsel. Um, because of time, getting, just it dragged out and lawyers dragged love out a little bit. Yeah. We were billing them hourly. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, we, we recommend to pre-negotiate that. And, and typically they're, they're anywhere from about five to 10 K now, which you don't want to be spending 10% uh, on, on legal. Yeah. But Kevin, like, like what you just said, that line alone, if anybody is listening to this still, that line alone, I wouldn't have even known that's an option. I would never have known. I would have just said, I don't know. I guess, yeah. Lawyers just charge you by the quarter hour. Like, I guess I, I would have never known you could, negotiate like uh, we're, this is flat by the way we're not paying we're not getting nickel this is not that chess clock that people use when they play speed chess we're not running the clock here even that nugget right there is worth the price of admission like i would have i would have never known that personally yep yeah it was um it was unfortunate at, at that point but i i know um you know it, it's a lesson learned and and um it's important too because you you've spent X amount of years building that business and throwing away that, that amount at that time of transaction to fill out some paperwork was tough. But um, another one that I'd recommend is, is identifying compliance challenges during early discussions. So that can be costly on, on both sides from a timing perspective. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? So, um, you know, there's small businesses can, can typically, depending on region or, or what they may or may not be doing there, they might not be, following the appropriate way of, of yeah, running yeah. the business. Um, so making sure that you have awareness of that before you get too deep in discussions um, can can save you some time and energy from both sides. And if you're the seller, making sure that you are following the rules. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've seen this on, if you've ever watched, and I reference this guy a lot, Marcus Lemonis and The Profit. Like, he's gotten pretty much elbow deep into a business and all of a sudden been like, what do you mean you're in foreclosure? And like, oh, yeah, didn't we, we mention that? Like, whoa, like, no, 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 red flag, red flag. So like, may, but either end the buyer or the seller doesn't want that to happen. So like, may, like this is like you know, make sure your your room is cleaned before you go to sell your house. Like you know, this is just pay attention. This is a good business practice. Yep, yep. And I think um, uh, last one would be any additional items, clarifying those early. So uh, any PTO that's that your team has, how how that's going to be handled. Outstanding AR, who's who's going to be taking that, um, any lease agreements that need to be figured out, bank account right. transfers. So um, making sure that both parties are on the same side of, of those early on in discussions so that it doesn't hold anything up later. How many, like, I'm not looking for a real number because they're, I mean, you'd probably have to like go deep, but like in any one transaction, how many different things are there to look, how many different filing cabinets are there to look underneath like, you know, lease and where do you get your internet and where, who, where where's your water come from? How many different things do you think like go into if 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 an acquisition or a sale of a practice was a spider web? Like how many different like how many different angles are there? It, the diligence process gets pretty deep. I, um, I I get the fortune, and I have I have a really good team. Somebody on my team, Melanie, kind of takes the reins after we we sign an LOI and and goes through the diligence process. But um, I I know there's a pretty significantly sized Excel spreadsheet that I she bet. works through um, when, when the LOI after the LOI is signed. Like Kevin's like, yes, we're, we're acquiring another one. And we'd say her name is Melanie. Yep. She just, ah, <laughs> she's like time to push the rock up the hill. But because Melanie knows 
she can't miss one thing. She's a rock star and she was on both sides. So she actually was a franchisee of ours here locally. Um, and we acquired her and her husband Frank's business um, at the tail end of, uh, I want to say 2020. So December 31st, 2020. Um, and, and then she actually hopped on since they were local and joined the HQ team to, to help simplify that process because she saw how we were handling it prior and knew she could improve it. Yeah. So we talked about a bunch of like metrics that buyers are looking at. Obviously, revenue, EBITDA. Is there anything else that like if you want to get like a little more micro? Because I feel like revenue and EBITDA is macro. Like what is what other things are maybe micro? You talked about things outside of space, like which built which go into revenue and EBITDA, which is like evals, uh, turnover, staff turnover, like those things affect the revenue and EBITDA. Yep. Yeah, I so one of them's location, which is a bit out of your control, but it's also in your control. So uh, when a buyer is looking at your business, they're going to be looking, is, is there an ease of tucking to their current operations? Oh. Um, is this going to be an expansion to their current business? Or is this going to be more of a, they found a new area to enter and, and it's kind of like a hub and spoke concept. So um, the that would be one locations huge um which ties into market share a little bit so what what's your current share in that market are what do your competitors look like in that market what is the msa and population of that market is there growth opportunity um is is it a growing market so um location market share is is going to be huge and, and somewhat in your, your control another one's going to be the risk aversity so that's the less risky of, of the purchase is going to be more attractive to the buyer. And I, I know we touched on um, compliance review on that, but um, some other risk averse things would be like physician diversity. So sometimes some of these smaller practices, we might see they have a very high referral percentage from one doctor. It, it could be a sister-in-law who's, who's that physician in that small town. and Danger. And yeah. So a buyer is going to identify that. Um, and same with payer diversity. So we, we like to kind of stick to a no more than 25% of total revenue from one payer. And, you know, every every market and every business is a little bit different, but it's it's something that we're looking at. I would have never thought of that. That makes complete sense, right? You're a PT and you went to high school with a dude and now he runs a physician practice 20 miles down the road. And if you sell, like there's no, there's no, hey, we used to be on the football team together anymore. Well, there goes a quarter of your business because that relationship is now not there. Yep. That is now yep. it, that, that 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 the revenue in EBITDA is now not 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 accurate because 25% of it just left. Yeah. yeah, it's real and we're seeing it too. So it's 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 definitely something to be wary of if if you're looking to sell your practice. Um any synergies uh, that that the buyer may be able to take on. So if they're on the same EMR, their current operations, um, if there's any billing team synergies, uh, a lot of times marketing expansion. So um, some of these businesses that are depending on the size of your practice, if you don't have a marketer, can they can they tack on your your business into their current marketing team? So um, being able to to identify that as a seller, knowing that the buyer might be able to take advantage of that might give you a little bit more uh, leverage and negotiation power. So, um, I, I think that's important too. And then, and then, um, and if, is it an owner driven practice? So that, that can actually decrease the value if the owner typically is most, the, the most productive clinician in yeah, the practice. Sure yep. 
Um, and, and not always. So I, I know when we acquire, we actually a lot of times are, are hoping that individual will stay on. Um, so I, that's another valuable point is what do you want? So if, if you're looking to sell the business, uh, we've, we've out of those 28 transactions, we've done everything. So we've had some individuals come on and they're executives with us here at Physical. We've had some that have stayed on as, as regional directors overseeing a handful of clinics, some clinic director, one clinic, some full-time treating PT, some are part-time PT, and some wanted to, to work their way out or exit from day one. So as the seller, um, figure out what you want because um, it's up to you. So you, you, you need to determine what it is that you want to do moving forward. That's a good point because if someone like physical is going to come around and say, okay, what you've built here, Jimmy, is attractive. We're willing to purchase that. Clearly you're saying, hey, what you know how to do is attractive. This is like the world's greatest like job interview almost, right? So, hey, what could we do together? You know, why are you exiting this practice? Why are you selling this? Well, you know what? I just don't want to be in day-to-day, you know, elbow-deep operations. Well, what about macro operations? Oh, yeah, I know how to do that. Like, that's the ultimate job interview. You've proved it. Like, you're you're letting someone into your books, and you, now you're saying, hey, what else could this person do? Or, hey, do I just want to exit this completely? We get that. If that's what you want to do, your heart's not in it, let's let's do that too. A lot of options yeah. there. Yeah, and, and I think you know, and you've probably heard about it and talked about it here in the last couple of weeks is how hard it is to find good people. So um, if a buyer's coming in to buy your business, there's something they like about it. Right. Um, and, and a lot of times that's going to be talent acquisition and, and whether it's you as the owner um, or it, it could be your your team. Do you have any specialists, um, pelvic therapists, hand therapists that they want to expand their offering to? And um, again, using and knowing that um, will, will help you kind of in, in your negotiations. You use the term before, and I want to make sure I understand it because this is my show and I want to be able to understand it multiple. What are, what are, what are multiples? And then like, talk about like how they come into play with, with what you guys do and with, if, when someone's exiting a business or building a business. So that's, that's the, um, that's the question everyone wants is uh, ultimately how much is my business worth? So when we talked about EBITDA earlier, we, we talk, when I talk multiples, I'm talking about how much X times you're going to get, uh, for that EBITDA. So um, there's there's ultimately no magic wand for what your practice is going to be worth. It, it comes down to what the buyer is willing to offer and what you're willing to sell it for. Um, and like we said, there's there's lots of factors that goes into that from size, location, the buyer demand, all that kind of stuff. But, um, but I I think the listeners probably want to get an idea of, of what what's happening in the market today. So from, from what we're seeing, um, based purely on, on EBITDA. So if, if you're a sub 250K EBITDA business, the multiples we're seeing in the space range from like a three to a four. Um, so um, making numbers easier, if you were to get a four on your $250,000 EBITDA, the valuation of your business is a million. Got it. Um, as that EBITDA grows from 250 to 500, we're, we're seeing a, a four to six right now. Really? Um, yep. And, and as you climb into that 500 to a million range, that's, that's when you can get into a five to seven range. And um, if you're north of a million at EBITDA, um, you know, lower side might be six if it's a tough market. But if it's opportunistic, we're, we're seeing up to an eight and, and even some into the, the nine range. And these larger platforms that are out there, these, these big players are, are, are getting into the teens. But um, that's, that's a, a different ballgame. 
And is that just, I'm guessing, but correct me if I'm wrong, th this is more of a juice versus squeeze, right? If you're showing me it's a million plus, it's a two million plus, if you come along at physical and acquire that, you're not going to have to do a whole lot because it's showing that that seed that you've planted is is producing a lot of fruit. It's very fruitful. 250, 500,000, good. There's opportunity there, but you're going to have to do more watering and nurturing, right, Kevin? Because So that's why it's less, that's why that multiple is lower. Yep. Yeah. And that, that's kind of going to be typical in any space. So the more EBITDA you have, the, the higher multiple you'll be able to achieve. Because once you get into higher levels and 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 these these brands that are working with um, larger groups and, and PE, those those multiples climb pretty significantly when, you, when you're a, a large business. So um, that, that's kind of why that, that growth will be there. Um, you mentioned earlier, what's going on in the world, right? What the hell's going on in the world? Who the hell knows? I feel like in the last two years, it's been, we keep living in unprecedented times in the last two years. When are we, I would love for some precedented times to be dead honest with you right about now, Kevin. Um, just the last thing I'll ask before we do, uh, before we do three questions, do you want to wait how long before something said, and you're going to say it depends. And of course you should, cause there's no, there's going to be no guaranteed answer here, but like, what do you want to, you want to look for stability for how long in the world or, or your local markets ballpark it for me? Uh, I have no idea either. I don't, I mean, I don't like know. If a house. So it's like selling a house, right? So yeah. are, are you, you're playing the market. Um, ultimately I, I think the, the future is bright in PT and we've, we've continued to, um, see consolidation since I've been here for the last 11 years. It, it's continued to grow year over year. So um, we don't see really a stop taking place there. And, and the market's going to continue to to kind of be frothy from a, a buyer's market. Um, but ultimately, is there a stop there? Um, and and do the, the bigger players kind of reach a, a point where um, they're not so interested in, in continuing? It? Who knows? Uh, but But ultimately... I think it all comes back to your goal as a private practice owner and a seller. What is it that you want? Um, the market's always going to potentially be there unless something kind of wild happens, but um, build a business that you're proud of and, and a business with, with EBITDA in mind. And if, if your goal is a wealthy exit strategy, and I think you can, you, you'll get there. Okay, perfect. Are right, you ready to play three questions? I think so. Let's do it. All right. Three questions is brought to you by, oh, look at this, Kevin. It's brought to you by Physical Therapy and Balance Centers. Uh, find them online at physicalfranchise.com. That's F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L franchise.com. Created by PTs, especially for PTs in private practice. That's what it does. On average, a private practice who joins the physical network grows more than, this is a good number, 40%. Anybody out there doesn't, are you anti-40% growth? I don't think you are. That's rhetorical. Uh, if you're ready to discover how the largest network of PT private practice owners are growing and adopting to industry changes, visit physicalfranchise.com. And it's, again, F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L franchise.com. All right, three questions. First question is a where question. You're from Massachusetts. You live in Florida right now. But where's somewhere that you just can't wait to go? I love that. This is like adding to my travel list. Whenever people tell me these great places I should go, where's somewhere you wouldn't mind going? So, um I, I'm going to go ahead and say back to Western North Carolina. So my, my wife and I had the opportunity to go out to a small town called Saluda, North Carolina. It's just outside Hendersonville. Um, we stayed at a cabin out there and, and I've been itching to get back there. It's 
mountain views, which we don't have here in Florida, good beer, fresh air, and, and just uh, it, we had a blast up there. I'm, I'm excited to, to find our way back that, that way. Perfect. Second question. This is how I build my Netflix queue. This is how I build my reading list. This is how I build what I should listen to in podcasts. Something out there, book, movie, podcast that you think an audience would get value, somebody in the audience would get value from. I have a book that I, I kind of lean on. It's called Stillness is the Key. I actually read it in North Carolina on that trip um, by Ryan Holiday. It's all about stoic philosophy. And um, that's a winner. I, I, I love that book. Stoicism is something I just tripped across. I think the marketing guy for Stoicism needs to do a better job because it doesn't sound very attractive, but it really is. And correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't gotten too much into it. It really is like, what do I take out of the situation? This is not happening to me. It's happening around me. Like, what do I learn from this? It's not just taking a punch on the chin. It's just saying like, how do I learn from situations that aren't necessarily optimal or like, I know I'm probably butchering it, but. No, I, I think that's well done. You know, it, it's, it's how are you going to react and how are you going to kind of move forward knowing right. that um, the world's not against you. It's it's here and, it and be present and take advantage of everything that's, that's out there. Right. The world is. When people are like, the universe sucks. I'm like, the universe is it's the amazing. universe. You are so small. And that's not to say you're not important. It's to say, like, it's not really raining on your parade. It's just raining and you tried to have a parade. But what are you going to learn from it? What are you going to do about it? Like, what? So what? Now what? I feel like stoicism is like, now what? Like, how are you going to react? Because ultimately, that's the only thing you can really control. Yep. I love that. Last question on three questions is a who question. Who is someone the audience should know more about? Um, so this one, I, I think a lot of people probably know him, but I, I want to dive a little deeper into him. His his name's John Cena. So John yeah. Cena is a WWE guy. Yeah, you can't see me. I did that at my college graduation. Of course you did. <laughs> um, so John Cena's probably worth somewhere between 50 and $100 million. But um, he's he's done, since he's he became a big name, over 650 make-a-wishes for, for wow. children with um, life-threatening illnesses. And that works out to give or take one a week. Um, for, wow. for somebody to give that much time back for, for what he's built for himself. I, I think that that needs to be more known, you know, that's, that's powerful. Like just, just decide, like he must've walked into make a wish and just said, just tell me Sign where, me I'm like, just Sign where do I go? Sign me up. Cause like, that's a lot. And that's, I mean, oh, what do you think that means for a kid? Could you imagine your kid asks for make a wish and they go, John Cena, dude walks in. Like how mind blowing is that? I can't imagine it. Yeah, if, if Spider-Man did them, I, I know my son would be signed <laughs> up first in line. I love that. All right, that's three questions. Again, our friends at physical, physicalfranchise.com, F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L franchise.com, created by PTs, especially for PTs in private practice. Ryan, the last thing we do on the show is the parting shot. Parting shot brought to you by our friends from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org. Uh, current concept of orthopedic physical therapy, just a great resource. People are thinking about taking that OCS exam in the next couple of months. Do I want to run up and jump off this cliff? How am I going to get there? Uh, current concepts of orthopedic PT is the course. It's the roadmap. Doesn't matter where you are for a map. That's how maps work, people. Doesn't matter where you are. It knows where you want to go, 
And so you use it to get to that OCS exam. Find them online at orthopt.org. All right. Uh, parting shot, really just your last chance for a mic drop moment. Soapbox, reiterate something, bring out something new, whatever you want, Kevin. The parting shot is yours. Yeah, so today I, I think we talked a lot about the future. Um, after talking with hundreds of practice owners over the past 10 years, I've run into a lot of owners kind of stuck on the hamster wheel, running their business, stressed about what may or may not be next into the future. So um, I think it's important to remember why you got into business. You, you wanted to help people just like Jim Cook loved, loved beer and wanted to start a beer company. Um, PTs do amazing things for people every day. And, and I, I think there's a cool saying that, that ties into that. Yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery, but today is a gift. And that's why they call it the present. So while the future is bright and exciting, um, it's important to, to kind of stop and smell the flowers and, and remember why you got into business. It's, it's, uh, it's good for the mind, ultimately good for your future, too. Um, and I think after listening to a few of your episodes and our discussion today, I, I think, uh, Jimmy, you do a good job at that. Um, so with that, I, I cheers you for my, my final cheers. Cheers, Kevin. Appreciate that. I think, yes, like embrace it by all means. It might sound a little like, well, I shouldn't think about exiting my building when I'm uh, my business, when I'm entering it, but really what you're doing is you're paying attention to the future, but you're paying attention to the future by paying attention to the present. What can I do today? What seeds can I plant? What metrics should I, should I pay attention to so I can have a brighter future so I can reap those benefits in the future? So I love that. Well, cheers to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, they say the best conversations happen at happy hour. Welcome to ours. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at BuildPT.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.